Welcome to Calvary Albuquerque. We pursue the God who is passionately pursuing a lost world. We do this with one another. Through worship, by the word, to the world. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I'm going to pray. Father David said, open my eyes that I would behold wondrous things out of your law, out of your word. And Paul would say, if you would open our eyes that we could see the height and the depth and the breadth and the width and the love of God in Christ Jesus. These words on a page need to accomplish that wherein you have sent them. We ask that you would use these words by your Spirit to breathe life into all of us, and not the life from the video, the life that comes from your Spirit within. In Jesus' name, amen. As one famous person said, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> Psalm 13 is three couplets of two verses each. There are only six verses. The first two verses are the problem. How long, God? The second two verses are the petition. Help! And the third two are the praise. Trust. The problem, the, peti- the petition, the praise. So we begin with the problem. God is, he's not showing up. You ever? Four times God is being asked by David, how long? How long? How long do I have to go through this? David had been anointed to be king. As you remember, Samuel sent to the house of Jesse, anoint the next king. Samuel the prophet is told, they go through all the sons, they get to David, he's anointed. You're going to be the king, little David. You're going to be the king. Imagine him looking at his older brother. Okay, so, hey, I would have. You would have too, so let's not even go there. Uh, David is anointed to be king. It's a little bit later, and the Philistines are at war with Israel. So the Philistines are on one hill, Israel's on another, and there's a valley in between, and this giant called Goliath keeps coming in and taunting the armies. And David is sent by Jesse, his father, to bring food for his brothers who are on the front line. And while he's there, Goliath, send your best warrior. And David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine dare to taunt the armies of the living God? I'll take him. Well, of course, everyone is like, okay. So David winds up, you know about this, he kills Goliath. And Saul, the king, had promised his daughter to whoever killed Goliath. So now he marries into the royal household, moves into the mansion. He's the son-in-law of the king. He's helping to lead the armies. And the people start singing as David's being victorious. Saul is slain as thousands. David's his tens of thousands. And Saul got jealous. 
and tried to kill him. David runs for his life. He's living out in the desert, in the caves, hiding out. It has been years, literally years, that David is being hunted by the armies of Israel who want to kill him. Every time David tries to do something to fix it, it gets worse and worse. That's where he starts. That's the background of this psalm. He keeps calling God, and all he gets is an answering machine hang-up. God isn't there. How long will you forget me? Have you ever felt like that? You know, you're, you're trying to do the right thing, but life happened. So you get it together and life comes around again. Now, I don't know what that life could be. You could talk finances or health or society or jobs or family or friends. Life. Y'all know what life can do to you. Will you forget me forever? Have you ever felt forgotten? Then the next one, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, the idea of hiding a face is you're talking to me and I do this. That's a statement. And in some cultures, it's worse than others. You're basically saying, you're dead to me. I reject you. You have no business in my presence. Leave. How long will you hide your face? This is what David's feeling. God is no longer his friend. He has been rejected. God has forsaken him. God is ashamed of him. There's a big gap between the promises, you're going to be king, to you're a fugitive. We're going on a decade here. David was anointed as a teenager but didn't ascend to the throne until he was in his late 20s, early 30s. That's a long time. How long will you hide your face? Not only do you not hear my prayers, you don't even care. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? This is the idea of counsel in my soul. I'm going to figure a way out of this mess. So I come up with a really, really good plan. And I fall. And I said, no, 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 no. So I come up with another good plan. Do you remember that boy? How many times did he get up? And you get up again, no matter how many times you try to make amends, no matter how many times you try to fix it, no matter how many times you try to deal with whatever it might be, it just keeps failing. How long do I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart? Every plan, A, B, C, D, Z, 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 every plan I've implemented failed for years. How long, God? Four four, uh, guys decided to go uh, mountain climbing one weekend. And in the middle of the climb, one of them slipped and fell over this cliff about 60 feet. And they're calling, Joe, are you okay? I'm okay, but I think I broke both of my arms. And they said, well, Joe, we toss a rope. And they toss the rope over because the plan is to pull him up. And as they're pulling him up, he's about two-thirds. And they said, Joe, didn't you break both arms? What are you holding onto the rope with? And Joe said, my teeth. <laughs> the plan doesn't work. Have you ever made a plan? It didn't work. So, how long, God? You've forsaken me. 
I have no hope. All my plans have failed. There is no intermission. There's no half time. The pressures from without have affected me from within and changed me so that I'm no longer happy. I'm no longer carefree. I don't have joy. I don't have peace. I just have sorrow in my soul. And there's no escape because plans A through Z all failed and I've run out of plans and resources. That's David. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, is the writer of Proverbs. Now, David wasn't alone in this. Remember Joseph? God gives him a dream. He tells his brothers, you're all going to bow down to me. That goes over real well. Try that. Well, yeah, and you know the story of Joseph's life. His brothers, like, grab him and throw him in a pit, and then they sell him to these slave traders who sell him as a slave in Egypt, and he's falsely accused of rape, and he's thrown into a prison, and 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 just life is falling apart. It's been years and years. Life is falling apart. He 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 interprets some dreams of some guys in prison and says, and when you get out, don't forget to tell Pharaoh I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. And says, the guy forgot him. You know, like the plans don't work. He's not the only one. Daniel, young teenager, worshiping Jesus. Well, worshiping Yahweh. Taken by Nebuchadnezzar to a foreign land. No family, no friends. You're on your own now. Paul, oh, he had a great life. Talks about how he was shipwrecked and beaten three times with 40 stripes and imprisoned more often. Night and day spent in the deep. Basically meaning he was shipwrecked and he was treading water for a night and a day. Oh, that's fine. David is, God, you forgot me. How long will my enemies be exalted over me? See, Saul, even while he's chasing him, has the people bringing his, you know, air-conditioned tent. Air-conditioning means there are guys with fans going like this. With the nice food, David's eaten whatever he can scrounge in the desert. Fugitive, year after years. My enemies are winning. Rejection is feeling not wanted. Somehow I failed. I'm not loved or good enough. Deep down inside, we all know that I'm useless and worthless and abandoned, and it's probably my fault anyway, and I'm not important to anybody. I'm all alone. Nobody cares. Nobody really understands. I'm insignificant, unwanted. And it leads me to isolate myself, think I'm the only one, not let anyone in, just more alone. But you know, we're Christians, so we're good at saying praise the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? We can cover pretty good. We might not be running like David, but we are running because life keeps spinning around. You know, Jesus experienced rejection. Have you not read that the chief cornerstone will be rejected? How about this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How about telling his disciples, tonight all of you will run away and forsake me. So that was David's problem. He's forsaken, forgotten. How long, oh God? Four times. How long? Well, first, we're not forgotten. I mean, of course, we might feel that way, but we know the scripture says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We don't feel it, but we know it. 
The Lord has abandoned me. My master has forgotten me, cries Isaiah. And God responded, Can a woman forget her baby who nurses at her breast? Can she withhold compassion from the child she has born? Even if a a mother were to forget, I could never forget you. But it doesn't feel that way. Because there's no such thing as instant godliness. Now, this is what I wish. I wish that the moment God saved me, I was perfected. You know what I'm saying? Never a bad thought, never an evil thought. Everything was great. And life was perfect. My bank account suddenly had the decimal point move many, many, many paces, you know, to the right. And, 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 and everybody loved and worshiped me. And, and I was the best at everything. I could walk on water. But, you know, when God saved me, He inherited a mess. And he's still working on that mess. Because I got all kinds of mess. Don't you wish there was instant godliness? But the scripture says otherwise. Through many trials and tribulations, you get to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, yes. I love that verse. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials and temptations. That's highlighted. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes to try you. Oh, yeah. Double highlight that one. Jesus, if they're doing this to the master, what will they do to his servants? Thanks. Mm-hmm. But then there's Job. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. In your face. <laughs> That's the attitude. In your face. Though he slay me, I'm going to praise him. So what's up? You know, a bar of steel is about $5. They make it into horseshoes, it's about $10. If they turn it into needles for sewing machines, it's worth about 350 But if they turn them into the delicate springs that go into fine watches, it's worth 2500 The difference in worth is how many times it got cut, pruned. You know, Jesus said that, whom he loves, he prunes. Yes. Oh, great. God loves me. Thanks. Uh, how many times got cut, pruned, run through the oven to be heat treated, smashed again, twisted and formed, heated up again, smashed again, polished. The more that happened, the more valuable, valuable it became. There's no such thing as instant godliness. Don't you wish? So the problem, God is absent. He's forsaken, forgotten me. I'm overwhelmed and all alone. And no matter how many times I get back up, life comes around and I get to do another face plant. But though a righteous man falls seven times, seven times he will rise back up again. And you know, seven is the number of perfection, so it means even if you're a perfect flop, you can still do it right. I just, for those of you, sorry. That was a Neil Ortiz joke. So the problem leads to a petition. So the first two verses are the problem. How long? Second is the petition. Consider verse 3 and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. He went from pain to prayer. 
But the difference in this prayer is a difference that we have to take note of. I have often prayed and told God how to get me out of it. You see, I'm still waiting on that long-lost relative that I've never met that is a billionaire many times over to pass away. (laughs) Come on. There's something like that. I have told God what he needs to do to fix this. Have you ever told God what to do? This is how it needs to go, Lord. So, he's saying, consider me, Lord. Look at me. This is beyond me. I can't do this. There was a pastor who was really delighted to hear that this mother prayed for her children every night after she put them to bed. She asked, he asked one of the young children, what does she pray for? She says, she always thanks God. She says, thank God they're in bed. My kids are sitting in the front row (laughs) with their mama. Consider me, God. Answer me. Enlighten my eyes or I'll sleep the sleep of death. I have nothing left. But I'm still going to dictate and tell God how to do it. There was a hunter, not a hunter, just a, a, you know, a photographer guy. He's out walking in the woods springtime. And he came across a very large, hungry bear coming out of hibernation. They're hungry. They eat anything that moves. And the bear starts chasing him. And he climbs up a tree. And he's looking at this bear who's just smashing the tree. This tree's going to fall. He knows the bear's got him. And as he's coming down, he prays, God, save this bear. Make him a Christian. And the bear stops growling, catches him, and lays him down gently. And as he tried to get up, the bear put his paw on him and said, Oh, God, bless this food. When we dictate to God how the prayer is to be answered, and He answers it my way, it doesn't always turn out for the best. I can barely stand that joke. (laughs) The weapons of our warfare are not human weapons. We've run out of reason. We're made powerful by God by tearing down strongholds, all the arguments, all the efforts and the obstacles that are raised against us. And we take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, what does that mean? I have nothing left to dictate to God. I'm merely going to say, God, help me. Jesus in the garden. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. We would have said, let this cup pass. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. See, my prayer rarely says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. It is nevertheless not thy will, but mine. I have a problem with me. Because I'm smarter than God. That's blasphemous, isn't it? Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Tell them they're going to be destroyed. Now, Jonah thinks they're going to repent, and Jonah doesn't want him to repent. Jonah wants him to be destroyed. So you know the story. Jonah's fleeing. He's in a boat. There's a storm. Overboard. Fish. Three days later, stewing in the fish, literally and figuratively, he says, okay, God. (laughs) Not that God's ever had to do that to us, because most of us respond immediately. But, But at any rate, Jonah is spit out by the fish on the shore. Now, this is what I find interesting, and it's not in the Bible, so I'm just speculating. The primary god, or one of the primary gods of the Assyrians in Nineveh was a fish. And the Tigris 
north and the Euphrates, I mean, they're right there on this major, major river. A fish could have swam from the ocean up this river and spit them out on the shore right there. Uh, nevertheless, whether or not a fish did and they saw the fish spitting them out or not, the fact is he didn't look like somebody who just came off of a men's fashion magazine. As he's walking around saying, you're all going to be judged. God's going to kill you. And he preaches the message. He goes out. He finds the hill. He's sitting outside on a hill in the hot desert heat. And God lets a plant grow up to give him shade. And he's just waiting. He's counting the days. I'm going to be destroyed. But they repented. Biggest revival in the Bible. They repented. And then God let the tree die. He sent it warm to get the roots. And the tree dies. So he's baking in the sun. And God shows up. He says, is it good for you to be angry? Modern is, you mad, bro? I said that to you because you're a skater. You mad, bro? Yes! I'm so mad, I should die! Just kill me! Now, we don't pray for death. We pray for the rapture because we're more spiritual than him. But uh, Jonah was so angry that he was ready to sleep the sleep of death. I just want it to be over. I'm not going to do it myself. I'm tired. I'm just tired. The cuts are so deep. The bleeding is so continuous. The hurts aren't going away. I can mask it, but... I'm tired. I'm ready to sleep the sleep of death. You mad, bro? And therein is the difference in the turning point in the psalm. Some would shake their fist at God and say, you didn't do it my way. And walk off and rebel. I'll show you. I'll hurt you back. I'll go do bad things. It's a very difficult time. It is a fiery trial. But Hebrews tells us we have to be careful lest we let this bitter root come in within us and poison us. Because on the one hand, I can shake my fist at God in anger because I believe, and here's, here's we, we're not going to say this, but I believe God owes me. Because you know what? I gave money to the church. And I helped in the children's ministry. Well, when my kids were little. I did my time. Um, <laughs> and as soon as I graduated. Okay. I, I served in ministry. I read my Bible last week. I, I, I listened to a Christian radio station. I prayed. I said nice things. I did nice things. How can this happen in my life? God owes me comfort and ease. We don't say it. Now, the New Testament doesn't know that. Fiery trial, persecution, martyrdom. You follow that. Lion's food. You read Hebrews chapter 12. The the faith men. And sawn in half and thrown into the fire and hiding in caves. You look at the New Testament. And they're getting beaten and persecuted and killed. You look at church history. Look around the world today. Most countries today, if someone becomes a Christian, most, we'll say non-European type countries, they could face death, if not bitter persecution. 
And somewhere along the line, we in America, sad to say, have confused creature comfort with what God owes us. And the only thing they promise them in the Bible is, if you live godly, you're going to get persecuted. And I'm saying, no, I live godly. I should have a big bank account and the nicest looking wife. Well, I do have the nicest looking wife. But uh, the... the um, Guys, listen up. That's you got to get those because I get enough of these. <laughs> so you got to get as many as you can. Um, we confuse creature comfort with what God owes us. You know, if God gave me everything He owed me, and I thought through the day, and I thought every thought that I had, every attitude I had, everything I did or didn't do, and I said, God, give me what you owe me today according to everything I thought and did. It's like, no, God, give me mercy. When I'm driving down the road, I want the other person to get justice, but I want mercy. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you look at that speed limit and say, it's just a guideline. (laughs) Try that with the officer while he's got his book out. It's just a guideline. You want a donut? (laughs) My son... This has nothing to do with study. He had a box of donuts in the back of the car, and he and a friend were driving somewhere too fast, and he got pulled over. And the officer said, what are you doing? Yeah, we're driving. You, know, you, you realize you were doing you know, 120 in a 10-mile zone or something? You know, he was driving too fast. And uh, so the, the officers come back to his car because, you know, they want to check the license plate and stuff like that. And my son didn't see the officer coming back up. And he looked at this friend in the car and said, you think he'd want a donut? <laughs> And he looks up and there's the officer. <laughs> and the officer looked in the back seat and saw the donuts. And it was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just saying. Don't let my enemies gloat over me. So the first thing David prays was, enlighten me. I don't want to see the sleep of death. You mad, bro? No. I, I don't want to go there. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. You know, non-Christians are so good at telling Christians how they should live. You're a Christian. You shouldn't be like that. But they'll do everything we can to help us be like that. And then they'll say, you shouldn't have done that. I mean, I invited you, and I asked you to do this, and when you did, I said, Christians. My enemies rejoice when I blaspheme my Lord. But they invite me to do it. God says, I don't want that to happen. So he begins to pray about God's glory and not telling God how to give him comfort. Because my thing is, oh God, give them a flat tire on a rainy day. You know, it's, it's, I, I did pray that. Um, and, and I said, a pothole filled with water and cars driving by. I mean, I really, I was so... You've never prayed like that. I'm confessing. My name's Neil, by the way. Okay. Prayers are about God's glory, not my happiness. Oh God, thy will be done. You be glorified. Because you're more interested in my fruit and character than in my comfort. 
You're more interested in me being a godly light in a fallen world than me living in luxury. There is coming a day when there will be no more tears and no more sadness. But it's not this side of heaven. If you're alive, you've been hurt. If I sat down with everybody in this room and say, within the last year, has somebody, the last 12 months, has something happened in your life that hurts you? Remember that boy in the video? How many times did it spin around in your life? And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. God, please be glorified. You seem distant. You seem like you're not there. I'm not going to tell you how to do this. I'm not going to tell you how to fix it. Just don't let my enemies rejoice because I have blasphemed your name. Let my character show for you. Let fruit come from this that shows them what it's like for a Christian to be in the midst of a fire and say, we won't bow. I pray that for the man that meets my daughter. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar made the statue of himself and said, bow or die, and they didn't bow. Nebuchadnezzar was told. He calls them in, and he's having the furnace heated, and he said, I heard you didn't bow. We're going to play the instruments. You bow or you burn. Now, when you talk to the king, you're supposed to say, oh, king, live forever, and all these nice things. They just said, we're not even going to be careful how we answer you, oh, king. Our God, who is able to deliver us, he might, he might not. But you need to know one thing. We won't bow. I like that. So, when God seems distant, just pray for Him to make fruit in your life. It could go on for years and years and years. It might never change. It might keep getting worse. But it's not the circumstances out there. It's the character in here that God's worried about. You want comfort? You get it in heaven. The cross wasn't comfortable, but forever he is glorified. Perspective. Keep an awareness of God and the enemy. There are two realities. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm not supposed to look at the things that are seen, the things that are not seen. If I look at life to dictate how God loves me, I will be disappointed. If I look at God's love to dictate how life is to be lived, I will never be disappointed. The problem is, like the little boy who asked his mom to be in his room because he was scared. And she says, God's always with you. And he said, I want somebody with skin on. (laughs) We see... And think this is reality. But the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. We have to go for the eternal. And that's what David is praying. God allowed him to come to the end of himself. Because he desires fruit more than sacrifice. Think of Paul with the thorn in the flesh. I kept begging the Lord to take it away. He said, nope. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Well, okay. I'll bear fruit then. So the problem, God is absent. I'm all alone. The petition... God, let me live life for you. Not God, fix my life the way I want it fixed. And that allowed him to be free to praise. But I have trusted, verse 5, in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Read salvation as deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Trusted in your loving kindness. The Hebrew word there is hesed. 
Of course, if you want to be more exact, it's chesed, but we don't even, okay. It's like, sorry. It's, it's, okay. The New Testament word is agape. It means covenant love based on a promise. It's not an emotion. It's a promise. I will do this. God, who made the promise to Abraham as he could swear by no one other than himself, greater than himself, said, I will do this. Done deal. I will trust in your hesed. I'm not going to measure your hesed by my circumstances. I'm going to look at my circumstances and say, your hesed doesn't change. You promised. You promised. And forever he is glorified. We sang something else. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It came from this passage. The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who has given us the victory over death. Death is our entrance into a tearless eternity. Now, we might have joy and happiness here. We might have a lot of great stuff. I'm not all down and gloomy. I love to have fun like everybody else. I love to enjoy things. But that doesn't mean that in the midst of enjoying relationships and friendships, bad things won't happen. Jesus got crucified. But that means that when we come to death, we get to step through, if we believe in Him, into eternal bliss. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. And a body that has a singing voice. Because I'm a joyful noise person right now. I will trust in your loving kindness. I will measure my life by your eternal perspective and not measure you by my temporary life. That's what David did. Now he's free to praise. Jeremiah 29, 11, We quote this all the time. God says, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans of good, plans of comfort, to give you a future and a hope. Do you know when he said that? The Assyrians had just destroyed the nation. They were the cruelest conquerors. They would conquer and they would torture just for fun. They would just bring out a whole... And they would just torture people to death for fun before they left. And then those they took captive, they did such horrid things to. It was during the time that the torturing was going on that some were being taken prisoner that the city... Jerusalem was burning, not Jerusalem, but the city, because uh, Assyria was the northern kingdom. The, the cities in the northern kingdom were burning to the ground, not Jerusalem, that's the southern kingdom. And while this is happening, God says, I know my plans for you. Actually, it was Jerusalem. Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, got confused. I'm old. I'm allowed to. My name's Neil. It was during the darkest time of their history that God said, I want to give you a future and a hope. I will sing because you have dealt bountifully. That doesn't mean bountiful bank account, bountiful relationship, bountiful health. That means bountiful salvation, bountiful fruit, peace that passes understanding, joy unspeakable, full of glory. The ability to live as an overcomer rather than one who has been overcome. And therefore to be a light shining on a hill that tells people this is the way, walk in it. 
Death has no victory in your face. The problem, David was overwhelmed. He had tried over and over and over. Nothing worked. How long, God? The petition, all right, it's not about fixing the problem. It's about fixing me. I'm going to be a man of great fruit regardless. The praise, your loving kindness wins. And I get the victory. Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him, because, he continues, in the end I will stand with him on that day. That's the perspective that overcomes. David could praise not because his circumstances were changed. David could praise because his God was on the throne. And he wasn't telling God how to fix his life. He was letting God be God. He was just saying, whatever comes, thy will be done. If I have to go through the cross, I'll go through the cross. If I have to run, I'll run. If I have to be cut, I'll cut. But I'm going to go from a $5 bar of steel to a $250,000 spring. Because whom he loves, he prunes. That you might bring forth more fruit. It's not about my comfort. It's about my revealing Him to a lost and dying world. It's not about my going into my own Christian world and bubble and having no problems. It's about me going into the world of the lost and the dying and saying, this is the way, walk in it. And if I'm comfortable in my world, then I'm really not praying. You notice how much we pray when things go wrong? God's not forsaken you. There is a short story that sums all of everything up in one day. One of the most endearing traits of children is their utter trust that their parents will provide them with all of life's necessities, meaning food, shelter, and a weekend at the theme park. A theme park is sort of an artificial vacation, a place where you can enjoy all your favorite pastimes at once, such as motion sickness, dehydration, heat exhaustion, cramped muscles. It is a place of continual trials and tribulations. Adult tolerance for theme parks peaks at about one hour, which is how long it takes to walk from the paid parking lot to the front paid entrance where you have to fork over another obscene amount of money to gain entrance. Of course, they don't charge you for leaving, which is odd because most parents, having been there an hour, would pay to leave. The three main activities in the theme park are standing in line, sweating, and dying of thirst. The sun reflects off the concrete with a fiendish lack of mercy so that you learn the boiling point of tennis shoes. Your hair gets sunburnt. And the small child in front of you gestures with their hands and slaps you in the face with their cotton candy so you feel like you have gravel eating your skin. The ride your children have selected for you 
is a corkscrewing, stomach-wrenching, compressing roller coaster built by the same folks who design baggage delivery systems in the airports. (laughs) Apparently, the theme of this particular park is nausea. You sit down and are strapped in so tightly you can feel your shoulders grinding against your pelvis. Once the ride begins, you are thrown about with such violence it reminds you of your teenager's driving. When the ride is over, your children realize they are hungry and want to get something to eat. But first, the ride attendants have to pry your fingers off the safety safety bar. Open your eyes, sir. Please, open your eyes. It was not kind of them to use pepper spray, but as you stagger to the place where your children are at the hot dog palace and look at the menu, which is going to cost you another day's pay, you see that it is made up of corn syrup, which is sugar, sucrose, which is sugar, fructose, which is sugar, and sugar, which is sugar. And then as you read what's found in the hot dog, you find that it's the stuff that in dog food is called meat byproduct. When after another couple of rides, your children announce that they feel sick, you're very upset given how much you had to pay and the fact that you don't want to see that meal twice. With the exception of that first pummeling, you have managed to convince your children that you should not be on any of the other rides. It's not good for you when your organs are forcibly moved around inside your body. But they finally coax you to one last ride. Promising that it doesn't twist, doesn't turn, doesn't jerk around. It's real simple. It just goes up and comes down. They don't tell you how it comes down. You're strapped into a seat and pulled gently into acrophobia, close to God. And start having a face-to-face with him. You explain that you're thankful for the earth that he created and wish that you could be a part of it again. And you would like to get down now. And that's just how it happens now. It releases. You free fall faster than the speed of sound because you can't even hear your own scream leaving your lip. Until the brake hits inches from the ground and you come to a sudden, safe stop. Why are you kissing the ground, Dad? Are those tears? It's hot. Why are you shaking? Are you cold? Taking your kids out, you hand the keys to your teenage son and say, Go ahead and drive. I've been to a theme park. Nothing scares me now. God will take you through his theme park. And there'll be some twists and some turns and some drops and some valleys. And sometimes you feel close to God and sometimes you scream at the top of your lungs. Because the problem is, life can be hard. And like the little boy trying to stand up, life comes around again. Y'all know what I'm talking about. For those of you from Texas, all y'alls know what I'm talking about. Leads us to petition. Stop dictating. 
Start praying for fruit. I hate that prayer. I hate counting it joy. I pray for deliverance. Rapture! You mad, bro? I am. But the prayer is because we serve a God who has loving kindness. And we follow a Lord who, because of the cross, saw the crown. And through many trials and tribulations, we're going to enter the same kingdom. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean the circumstances are fixed. It doesn't mean everything's okay. It means that you are a city on a hill. No one lights a candlestick and puts it under a bushel, but they set it up on a lampstand that it gives light to the rest of the house. And a city on a hill cannot be hid. You're the light. You become that light because a $5 bar of steel can become a $250,000 spring, but not overnight. So, Father, your God were not. I guess the prayer is, Thy will be done. Let us be fruitful. In Jesus' name. Amen. What binds us together is devotion to worshiping our Heavenly Father, dedication to studying His Word, and determination to proclaim our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. For more teachings from Calvary Albuquerque and Skip Heitzig, visit calvaryabq.org.